Colossians chapter 3 is where we are going to take a look at this morning. And on Thanksgiving and, and then going into the Christmas season, I always like to um, depart from whatever book that we are studying in and, and, and look at the Christmas story and talk about Thanksgiving, although Thanksgiving is not a... Uh, Thanksgiving is not a holiday it's found in the Bible, but in reality it really is. When you look at the, the feast that Israel was asked to keep, uh, a lot of what happened in those feasts revolved around the expression of thanksgiving. And in the, in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew understanding of, of their relationship to God, they recognized that part of offering thanksgiving to God was also this idea of offering praise to him. Matter of fact, in the Hebrew, the word that's translated often thanksgiving could also be translated as praise. Uh, it, it literally means to extend out. Um, it's an interesting concept that you would be extending out a compliment or a uh, expression of gratitude toward God. And in doing so, it is an act of worship. It is an act of praise. And um, Colossians chapter 3, 12, if you're wondering, that's where we'll start, although I'm, I'm just going to start in verse 12 to pick up, kind of get a good running start into what we're looking at. But... And I, and I thought about I thought about this a lot in the last couple of days, particularly with with how much of worship and praise is wrapped around and integrated with this this act of thanking God for all that He's given us now. Um, and sometimes I, th I think we we forget to be thankful. I think we forget to thank God for um, all that he has given us. And, and, and thinking about, about our lives, uh, he's really given us a lot of blessings, hasn't he? He really has. And, and um, the scripture talks about him giving and taking away even. But, but nonetheless, he, he has... Uh, I think blessed each of us. He is a blessing God. He is a God that likes to bless his people. And, and um, as we read, as I read to you in the book of Ephesians, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he is a God that continues to give. And I, and I, I think at times when we, when we get angry and when we get uh, upset over things. Um, I think often it is is that we, we lose the concept and we lose the understanding of what it means to give thanks to God. Because what I have found that if I'm not thanking God, I have a tendency to feel angry and I have a tendency to feel entitled. Maybe not you, maybe that's just me, right? It's probably just you and me, isn't it? But anyway. But, but 
our sense of entitlement uh, often is in conflict, I believe, with our sense of praise and worship that is expressed to God in thanksgiving. I want you to think about that this week. I really do. I want you to think about that. Does your sense of you getting what you believe you deserve conflict with your sense of offering thanksgiving to God? Because the problem with, 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 with entitlement is, is it's the same problem with money. I think it was John Rockefeller that was asked, how much money is enough? And his answer was something along the line of just a little bit more. All right, and that's human nature. We're all that way. At least I think we're all that way. I think if we push ourselves long enough, we recognize, yeah, that's, that's who I am. But what I've realized, too, is that Thanksgiving takes us out of that sense of feeling that we have a right to more. And Thanksgiving kind of balances, I think, our understanding of who we are before God. And, and even in the act of Thanksgiving... We are recognizing that someone has done something for us that was kind and gracious and wonderful. And we may or may not have been able to have done it ourselves. If you think about it, we're pretty kind to ourselves, aren't we? <laughs> we are. And we may have or may have not have been able to really do it for ourselves, but nonetheless, it was something that was done for us. And when I think of, of the, the act of redemption uh, with Jesus on the cross, that which we just remembered and thanked God for during the, our time of communion, it was something that God and God alone could do for us. We couldn't save ourselves. And I kind of thank God for that because I would have to endure people who would believe that they could and then they would want to tell you how they did it. And that would get really old, for me anyway, really fast. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, it says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy, beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against another, just as the Lord forgave you, you must do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, some of you in your, you have a new King James. In verse 15, it says, let the peace of God. It's because it's coming from a slightly different manuscript in the Greek. 
I'm reading to you from the New American Standard 2020. The, I believe the NIV has peace of Christ. I know that the ESV has peace of Christ and the Holman Christian Standard Bible has peace of Christ. And that those manuscripts are actually uh, better manuscripts than that from which the New King James was translated from. But the New King James still works, okay. But I believe it's probably a better translation, let the peace of Christ, here in verse 15. To which you were indeed called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So three times here we have this idea of giving thanks to God. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to grab a hold of this little passage this morning. Lord, help us to wear it on our hearts and on our minds this week as we prepare to to celebrate really the giving of thanks to you for that which you have given to us. Lord, help us to be grateful people. Help us, Lord, even as the old hymn said, to count our blessings, to name them one by one. Count our many blessings to see what God has done. Help us to humbly submit even to that exercise that we may put before our own hearts and minds all those good and wonderful things that you've done for us. And as your word says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights of whom there is no variance or shadow of turning. So, Lord, we are thankful. We ask for your spirit to come and to speak to our hearts this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I, I'm not going to, for the sake of time, uh, I'm not going to back up into verse 12. I th I th but verse 12 and 13 is part of this context that we have to consider as we are looking at this passage. I'll give it to you as your homework assignment. How's that? Does that, that sound good? Um, that's better. I want to pick up around verse 14. In addition to all these things, what things? A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I just read from verse 12. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I, I, I found this fascinating um, how he is knitting all these things together. And he's saying that love is the bond of unity. So within the context as we read this, as we consider this even further about this idea of giving thanks, it is within the context of the church being the church with others in the church. It is not in the context of individuality. 
Does that make sense? He's talking about how we, we engage with others. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiving. And yes, you could apply all those things to yourself, but the reality is I think the context here really talks about this idea of us as the church together. Not that there's any issues in the church here among you that I'm aware of. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't go there. You know that. I gravitated to this passage because of, of where it talked about Thanksgiving three times, and I think that was, that's important, and that's what I want to get to. But, but this idea of where it talks about love being the bond. Uh, uh, this word in the Greek translated bond is syndesmos. Hopefully I pronounced it correctly for you. Um, you can look it up later to check me out if you want. Uh, but anyway, it, it, it really literally means that which binds together. I thought of glue, but I don't know if glue is really the, the best illustration for this. But I thought about when you tie something together, right? And, and that would probably be a, a better um, description here. Um, but but it, it's one commentator talked about these virtues of kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience, and forgiveness, that, that, that these virtues are so bound together that perfection becomes the result. The perfect bond of peace. That's what he's talking about here. And he's saying that, that love wraps all these things together so that you become perfect. Now, please don't misunderstand what this word perfect in Colossians is talking about it. It's not talking about you being without sin. Right, it's not talking about that. It's, it's talking about you being complete. It, it is a word that is rooted in the, uh, the Greek word telos, which means the end goal or the end result. So it is talking about you being your, your finished product. Now, as I think about us, And I think about what our finished product will look like. I would imagine that we're all going to live into our early 100s because there's a lot of work that I think the Lord needs to do on a lot of us to really polish us up before we get into heaven. And that's that sanctifying work, of course. Now, of course, I'm, I'm teasing you. But, but um, love becomes the binding agent of all these virtues so that when we exercise them that we be, we we participate in the process of God's sanctifying work in your life let me say that a different way Do you have to choose to be kind or humble or compassionate or patient? Do you have to choose it? I think you do. Do you have a choice about what? I had to be a little patient to wait to see if I was going to get a response for that. I'm kidding, but anyway. But um, it's a choice we make. You ever been kind, patient, humble? When you didn't want to be? (laughs) 
And then your spouse had to hear about it later. <laughs> you know? My poor wife. But anyway, um, that's a decision that you make, probably unconsciously, that says really on a grander scale, all right, God, I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to follow you this time. I really don't want to be a Christian right now. I really want to be an unchristian right now, but I will do that what you say because your word says if you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say, then there's a huge discrepancy there, right? And I've gone to church a few times. I've read your Bible a few times. And so I understand what it is that you're calling me to do. And so because of, and sometimes it's only, Lord, I love you, so I'm going to be nice to this person, right? You've been there. <laughs> sometimes it is, Lord, I love you, but I also love this person, so I'm going to be nice to them, even though they're being a jerk right now, right? And I will be humble, and I will be patient, and I will be kind. As we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in those situations, there is something that I think the Holy Spirit does in those times that begin to conform us and begin to change us and begin to transform us, maybe ever so slightly, more into the image of Christ. See, this is... This is this is uh, sanctification, just bottled up, isn't it? This idea would love being the, the perfect bond of unity. But I have to be willing for it to happen. I have to be willing to say, all right, I'm going to step out on faith. And I'm not going to say to this person or do to this person what I really want to say or do to this person, but I'm going to... Thank you, Bill. We're good. But I am going to exercise and grab a hold of a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit that the Holy Spirit has been producing in my life called among other things, self-control. They're listed for us in Galatians 5. And I'm going to live my confession. I'm not just going to confess my confession. I'm going to live my confession. Love is the perfect bond of unity. But love can be a lot of work, can it not? And love often means to set yourself aside. And to set aside that which you may really want to say or that which you may really want to do. And to tap into the resource of the Holy Spirit who is there for the asking If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask. And you have not because you ask not. Well, you need to come up here. No, I'm kidding. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. 
See how the, the scriptures tie together? The problem is, is that when we are in the heat of the moment, we don't ask. And all of our confession flies out the window. Rather than to exercise the self-control that the Holy Spirit has given us and to live our confession. The, old, the, the New King James talks about the peace of God ruling your hearts. And actually, even in the New American Standard, it says, let the peace of Christ, which you were indeed called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. So, this idea of, of ruling is an interesting word because it comes from that uh, root word which refers to the kingdom. And it... it um, it's an interesting word because when it talks about the peace of Christ ruling your heart, this word really refers in, in its original Greek sense. I thought this fascinating. It really talked about the idea of someone who is an umpire in a sporting event. The guy who calls the balls and strikes. No, it's over. The guy who's calling the uh, fouls, okay, or the extra points. The, the, the guys in the striped shirts. That's what the peace of Christ is intended to do. It is intended to umpire your life. Now give that some thought. I remember I went through a period of time that when I was playing slow pitch, actually in the, on the base even when I was in the military, slow pitch and fast pitch, uh, there were some umpires that I, I would hate to go up to the plate and I knew they were behind me calling the balls and strikes. It's like I might as well just swing at everything, you know, because uh, they were calling everything. Um, but, but this idea of Christ's peace in your life that would govern or regulate or umpire or make the calls of how you are to engage with others. Being compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Because with some folks at some times, and I hate to say this because I feel like I'm just going to water down everything I've just said, but at some point, I, at times with some people, I believe that the best thing you can do is just to humbly walk away. I don't feel like you have any other choice. And this idea that the, the, the peace of God, uh, um, it arbitrates and it decides the contest. Just like the official arbitrates and essentially decides the contest. In a wider sense, it can refer to this idea to establish order or to rule or to control. But the peace of Christ is more than just you feeling good. 
I think often that's how we sell it to ourselves and others sell it to us. And, and having this, this sense of peace with God uh, because if I have a peace with God, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think when we think about some of these things, this idea of having peace with God, I, we almost become too cavalier. In other words, we begin to want to take advantage of the fact that we have peace with God, therefore we're just going to do whatever we want. And, and part of having the peace of God, having peace with God, is this idea that, yes, I'm going to submit to that which he's called me to do because the, the, the love is the bond of per perfection. Love becomes the bond of perfection, right? There, uh, I'm, I'm wrapped up in these things. Therefore, when I have peace with God, I recognize that part of my maintaining my peace with God is that I have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. That's what I'm really trying to say here. I think I got off track a bit. And part of my relationship to Christ requires that I submit to him. I think at times, subtly, we as Christians really try to re reverse that role. We really do. We try to reverse that role. And we're, uh, we're the Lord. And, and it's like the plastic Jesus, right? You remember those? In, it was way back in the 60s. People had those on their dash. There's actually a country western song about this. You know it, don't you? Oh, you're from Bakersfield. Of course you know it. But, uh, okay, plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard. I want to sing it for you. It's, I mean, it's playing in my head. You know it too, huh? And, okay, oh, that's a good one. Um, let, no, I'm, I won't. Anyway, but, uh, but, but. The problem with that thinking is that we turn the Lord Jesus Christ into something other than who he is in our life. And we really become the Lord of our lives, and he's our good buddy. And we wonder why we do not have an inner peace. And not having that inner peace sometimes is the most holy thing that I think we can muster. Why? Because we are wrestling with the Holy Spirit trying to leverage control of our lives out of our hands and put it back into his hands. And I think that's so important to understand that. If you don't have peace, then look at your life. And look and see... What does your, your relationship to Jesus Christ consist of? Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God officiate, call the balls and strikes in your heart and be thankful.
So if all these things are as they should be, then I'm called also to be thankful. Um, Due to time, I'm not going to be able to jump back into verse 16 much. Let the, uh, the word of Christ. I'm, I'm going to get back to Thanksgiving in just a minute. So, but this idea of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, that, I, I believe that that's generically talking about the word of God, the Bible, yes. But I think specifically Christ's words. I tell you, I have more trouble with the Gospels than I do any other books in the Bible. They disturb me a whole lot more than even some of the stuff we've read in Romans. They definitely disturb me in a whole lot more than the stuff that I read in the Old Testament. And, and to, to really wrestle with that which Christ has said, what he has taught. He's really called us to a very, very high order. But to allow those words to dwell within us uh, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, just really quickly, and I want to get off this. Uh, the psalms are probably referring to the 150 psalms that are given to us in the scriptures. Um, the hymns are basically just a spiritual song is all a hymn is, all right? We've kind of translated that into uh, a group of songs that are in a bound book that usually sits underneath one of the you know pews in other words we call them hymns and we make a distinction between hymns uh, and worship songs when in reality they're all worship songs i think it's a distinction that that we've created that really doesn't uh really do us any favors and and, and uh, the spiritual songs um really it can extend to all forms of any kind of a worship song. Um, however, they were a little bit more spiritual, if you want to call it that. Now, I don't know how to judge that. And, you know, I, I love all worship songs. But the early church, what was their songbook? It was the Psalms that were written in the Scriptures. It was also their prayer book. They prayed the Psalms. Again, that's part of why I like to read them with you and hopefully we are reading them as a prayer. Not just, well, we're reading this, we're going to take communion in just a bit, but he's going to sing another song. You know, you, you know the drill. We, we pretty much do the same thing, you know, for the most part every Sunday. It's our liturgy, if you want to call it that. But the Psalms were... The prayer book and the song book for the early church. Hopefully when we sing these songs that we do that you're not just singing them and waiting for us to finish so you can, you know, so that I can speak. But they are hopefully prayers that come from your heart. Um, whether you sing them or not. I know some of you don't like to sing. Well, I'll let you in a secret. I don't like to sing, Okay. Um, I really don't. Um, never have. I like playing an instrument. It just, it's kind of who I am. Um, so if anybody wants to take over for me, let me know. But, uh, um, but I sing them in my heart. 
because they're, they're psalms. They're, they're, they're expressions of worship. They're expressions of praise. They're prayers. I think about them all week. I don't know about you, but they, they come in and out of my brain all week long as a form of communion to God. And then it goes on again to tell us singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever that you do in word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, uh, through him to God the Father. So this, this word giving thanks, this uh, uh, Greek word eucharisto, which if you are from a more uh, liturgical tradition should remind you of the word eucharist which is some churches refer to that as what? Communion. You know what it means? Giving thanks. Period. It's not a bad word. Actually, I kind of like it. We recognize communion, giving thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ for his death and, uh, on the cross for us. But it's used 39 times in the New Testament meaning to show that one is under obligation even. That's what, what I found that to be fascinating, that part of this word implies this idea is that we are under obligation. You ever do something for somebody and they don't thank you? Either they forget or they're just not wired that way? <laughs> um, it doesn't feel good. And part of the expression of thanks is, is, is recognizing that, that, uh, that yes, in, in part of maintaining the peace, perhaps we're obligated to give thanks. What's interesting is that God calls the, uh, it, it, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he talks about the unrighteous and says, neither were they thankful. Because at times I think I forget to be thankful. I don't know about you. Now, I, I thought about praying. When I pray here, I give thanks a lot. But sometimes during the week, I don't do it so often. So I, I think if anything else, that's why times like Thanksgiving where you do it, you go overboard. Not that you're making up for lost time. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But, but part of it is to incorporate this as a discipline in your life. How often do we give thanks? Do you give thanks for the food? I, I, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where, where Paul is talking about telling the believer not to eat meat that was offered to idols. And then he asks the rhetorical question, why am I being judged if I have given thanks for this food? Go back and read it. It's interesting because it implies that the giving of thanks sanctifies. Go through the Gospels and read how many times that whenever Jesus was around a meal, what did he do? He gave thanks. Even in John chapter 6, it refers to the place where, where Jesus fed them the loaves and fishes, and it says this is where he fed the multitudes and he gave thanks. That this idea of giving thanks to God is, it, uh, we're called to incorporate it deeply within our lives.
when we eat, hopefully we give thanks before. Do you give thanks when your feet hit the ground after you get out of bed in the morning for the fact that you can do it another day? Do we thank God for a good night's sleep? Are we thankful that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as I read earlier? Are we thankful that we have homes to live in instead of living out on an overpass somewhere? Because it seems to me that gratitude releases things. Gratitude, I think, releases verses 12 through 14 particularly verses 12 and 13 with, with the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, because when I am grateful to God, I recognize that what God has given me are things that I do not deserve. Therefore, if I do not deserve them, and he has been humble and kind and patient and gentle to me uh, and shown compassion to me, then it is my calling as a follower of Jesus Christ to do those things toward others. But it seems to me that if I am not first thankful, all that other stuff just goes right out the window. Because entitlement creeps in. And it diminishes those other things. In, in Ephesians 5, and I'm going to close because I've gone late. It's a parallel passage to this in Colossians 3. In Ephesians 5, it, it, it ends this segment. I, I won't take the time to turn there, but I'll, I have it in front of me. I'll just read you the one verse. 520. It says, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All things give thanks. And the all means all. Now there's all kinds of things that go into my life that I really don't want to give thanks for. But as I go back to what Paul says to the Ephesians, we're called to do that. Because when we truly give thanks, and, and I mean, I've, I've done it when I haven't even meant it. But I forced my way through it anyway. And what I have found that when I force my way through something, eventually there's something that changes inside of me. Because God recognizes my, my commitment to at least want to be obedient. I was like, all right, thank you, you know. <laughs> if that's where you got to start, man, start there. A smoking flax he will not extinguish. It's recorded in Luke, originally written in Isaiah. So if you give him at least that little smoking ember that's just about to go out, but it's still there, it's still smoking, 
the word says he will not extinguish it, but extinguish it, but I believe that he, through his Holy Spirit, begins to fan that into a flame. Because if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Amen.